0: Will you pray with me? Father, we give you thanks for this good day. We give you thanks for this amazing music, and we hear the bells ringing, singing, that not only is Christ risen from the dead, but we can be born again. And we pray, Father, that we might be born anew, as your word says, to a living hope through Christ our Lord, who is our hope. In Jesus' name. Amen. What an amazing day. I I always say I live for Easter and then I say no because of Easter I live. This is a great day to worship the Lord together. One of my favorite uh, books about heaven is a book by Randy Alcorn. Uh, One of our families lost uh, a son recently and they sent me another copy of that book and it gave me the opportunity just to look at it again and to see how Alcorn takes the questions that you and I might have about heaven and really focus on them from the Scripture and answer our questions from the Scripture. And while I was pondering that this week, I happened to notice in a Newsweek article online that one of the Newsweek writers, a lady named Lisa Miller, has written another book about heaven. And it's an interesting uh, sort of take because she looks at the statistics and says, in the last seven years... Statistically, 10% of us have stopped believing that Jesus was physically raised from the dead. That is, 10% less believe that over the last seven years, which is sort of a startling statistic. And you may wonder, well, what would cause people to do that? And she also talks about how in the same period of time, the, the belief in reincarnation has risen. I liken reincarnation to the cedar over in Austin, where I used to live. You can see pictures of the hillsides around Austin in around 1900, circa 1900, there's no cedar. And then there was a first cedar bush, and then there's cedar bushes everywhere, and now everybody sneezes and coughs, and their eyes water, and they have cedar fever every January. And I think reincarnation is just such a spiritual virus. It is sort of taking hold, and it's sort of trendy to think, well, we're disembodied spirits, but... Reincarnation and resurrection are not um, easy, easily reconciled. They, they are mutually exclusive, to tell you the truth. Either Christ was raised from the dead in a physical body and our physical bodies will rise, or then you're just sort of left to this idea of sort of disembodied spirits inhabiting crickets and bugs and birds and, and people. I don't know which sounds preferable to you, but I, I think I know where I stand on that. What's interesting is at the end of that particular book. She she says she interviewed John Levinson, who uh, is a Harvard religion professor, and asked him, now, how exactly does God raise bodies from the dead? For instance, if a body is sort of unrecognizable, pulverized by war, or incinerated in fire, I mean, how, how is a body raised from the dead? And And he looked at her, she says, and with a twinkle in his eye, said, it's not as though you could go to an MIT laboratory and say, now this is how we're going to resurrect a body. It doesn't work like that. He said, it's more radical than that. It's actually supernatural. It would take the God who created us by a special act of kindness to recreate us and bring people to life again. Precisely, precisely what the Scripture teaches She then concludes the article by saying, but for my part, I don't buy it. I don't buy the idea that a body that is dead can live again. She said, but I do leave room for for, um, random acts of kindness and grace and senseless beauty that people can do to each other. And I will leave room for mystery in the world, but I don't believe in physical resurrection, she said. Leading me to, to wonder, and I'm not trying to be unkind, but why would you write a book about a place that you don't believe in? I mean, you know, I've never been there. I'm not going there, and it doesn't exist, but I'm going to write a book about it. I mean, it'd be like me writing a book about Atlantis, you know. I've never been there. I don't plan to go, but, you know, I'll write a book about it. And I wondered when I read that, what do you think about that? What do you believe? Are you in that 10% who can say, you know, I used to believe in resurrection, but not anymore? And if that's true, I wonder what brought you to that place. Or in your, are you in a larger group of people who are just unsure? You're in the 30% who never, maybe ever believed in the idea of resurrection. Can I show you a story in Scripture? Really, I want to show you two stories and then point to a third, if I may. Two stories in the Scriptures that show us that in Christ we have living hope. Would you open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke? chapter 24 what is I think perhaps of all the accounts of people running into the risen Lord Jesus I think this is the the most profound and beautiful the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus Cleopas and companion we might say would you stand with me as we read God's word this morning Luke 24 beginning with verse 13 I'll read these verses about people who lost hope and then Peter's words in first Peter encouraging people To hold on to faith, because through faith we have a living hope. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God. And all the people, the chief priests and our rulers, handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped... And Jesus speaks to them and explains them from the Scriptures. And when they get to Emmaus, they say, stay with us. And in verse 30, I want to pick up again. It says, when he was at the table with them, Luke 24, verse 30, he took bread, gave Thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them. When he broke the bread now Simon who is referenced there in verse 34 is Simon Peter and in first Peter chapter 1 verse 1 we have just some words that he spoke this is the second story I want you to see there are believers scattered around the world who have stopped believing who have lost hope and Peter who knows what it's like to lose hope and to have hope live again says to them. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and sprinkling by His blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in His great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have uh, had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, So that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Thank you. You may be seated. Where is Emmaus? The archaeologists have looked for it. They can't find it. They, they have four different options, and you can Google them if you want to. If I'm, please, not on your Blackberry now. Wait till after church. But, but you can Google and find uh, the four uh, different options for Emmaus. I only ask where Emmaus is because it must have been something. I mean, Emmaus must have been someplace for these people who have watched Jesus for three years, perform miracles, raise Lazarus back to life, and now on Easter Sunday, they have heard that the tomb is empty and that angels said He is risen and that the, uh, Peter and John have run to the tomb and come back and confirmed that it's an empty tomb and that the angels have said He is risen and they're headed to Emmaus. And I'm wondering, what's at Emmaus? That's better than the possibility, the probability, the certainty that Christ, who died and was buried, is raised from the dead. They're on their way to Emmaus as they describe it. They say, because Jesus was, they have Jesus in the past tense. Jesus was a prophet, mighty in word and deed. And in verse 21, they tell you why they're headed home. We had hoped. In the Greek, it's in the imperfect. We were hoping, but our hope is finished. We no longer have any hope. And for them, hope has died. And they begin to explain that to Jesus. And their faces are downcast, it says. They're staring at the ground and saying, Are you the only one in Jerusalem who doesn't know what has happened? And they begin to tell the story of Jesus' crucifixion. And Jesus begins to tell them about Himself. Though they do not yet recognize Him, He starts... I believe probably in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 and then Numbers chapter 21 verse 9 and then Deuteronomy chapter 18 and then to Micah chapter 7 verse 20 and Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 to say this had to happen and then perhaps he pointed to Isaiah chapter 53 and told about the suffering servant on a crimson cross and then and then perhaps he moved to psalm 16 or to job and said god is my redeemer and i know that he lives and on the earth again shall stand and perhaps out of psalm 16 to say you will not let my body corrupt and decay in the ground but you will bring me back to life again and then while He was breaking bread with them in Emmaus, they saw Him. Their eyes were opened. He had opened the Scriptures. Later we read, He opened their hearts. The, the open tomb led to an opening of their eyes, to the opening of Scripture, to the opening of their hearts. And they believe again. And they can't stay in Emmaus. They've got to go back to Jerusalem and tell what they've seen. And when they get there, they find out that Jesus has also appeared to Simon. Which brings me to our second story, which is the story of these believers who are scattered strangers, who are suffering diverse and various trials in the ancient world, and they are tempted to give up hope. And Peter, who knows what it's like, for hope to die because his hope died when Jesus was crucified and his hope was resurrected when he saw the risen Lord and he writes to those believers some 30 years after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection he writes and says to them we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I suppose this is what Wendell Berry means when he says you have to practice the resurrection. It's not enough just to believe in it as a, as a thought that happened or as an historical idea, but we must put the resurrection into practice. And so as we've been thinking about hope together for this whole year of 2010, we've called it the year of hope. I wonder what you and I were hoping for When we came to this place of worship today, I read just yesterday on the internet that there's a church in Corpus Christi. You could have made it if you'd left early this morning. And they're offering $2 million worth of gifts today. I'm not kidding. 16 cars, laptops, and um, flat screen televisions. $2 million. I know what you're thinking. We came to the wrong place they're going to give us a lousy book. Your relatives in Corpus Christi are going to call you this afternoon and say, I got a car. What'd you get? Yeah, I got a book. I'm sorry. But I'll say with Peter and John in Acts chapter 3, silver and gold we do not have. But what we have, we give to you. And believe me when I say... What we have to offer is the truth that Jesus Christ who was buried rose again and what we have to offer is the risen Lord Jesus Christ who is better than any car, better than any laptop, better than any television you can buy, better than anything material is this spiritual truth that Jesus was bodily raised from the dead and if the Spirit of Him who raised Christ from the dead lives in you, then He will give life to your mortal body through the Spirit who lives in you. This is what Peter was telling them. Living hope is a hope that empowers us, that rekindles the fire of our faith. Don't you need Easter? I need Easter because this day reminds me that our hearts can burn within us just to know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And those disciples on the road to Emmaus had lost hope. They were, they were walking home to Emmaus because they, they didn't know what else to do. I, you know, I, I'm trying to imagine. Did they have to feed the dogs? What, what was so compelling that these who knew what Christ had done would go home? And then I read that their story is not unlike the story of those in 1 Peter chapter. 1 verse 1. Here's the thing. When you lose hope, a couple of things happen. Maybe more than that, but two occurred to me. One is disillusionment happens when we lose hope. The second is isolation. When we lose hope, we don't want to be around anybody. That's why they're going home. That's why When Peter writes to those early believers, he says, I know you feel like strangers in the world. You're on the outside. Everybody else doesn't believe you're you're in the minority in the world at that time. He said, not many people believe you feel like strangers in the world. You've been scattered across the world. Remember the dispersion of the Christians in the book of Acts because they they threw them out of Jerusalem and they're sort of scattered around the world. This is modern day Turkey. All of these places that are mentioned are in a little circle in modern-day Turkey. And it's almost as though Peter is walking through those places as he gets off the boat and goes in a sort of circle there in that direction. And he talks to these people and says, I know you feel scattered. And worst of all, verse 6, you're suffering. You're strangers, you're scattered. You're suffering various trials, all kinds of tri- all the kinds of trials there are. You're suffering those. He says, I know that it's easy in that situation to lose hope, to give up on faith. But he says, don't let it happen to you. Jill Briscoe has written a little book called It Had to Be a Monday. I resonate with that title. Uh, It Had to Be a Monday. And she tells about a, a lady who lost her husband and how she and her husband's sister her deceased husband's sister stood there at the viewing beside the casket and how the people filed by and she said you know what do you say in a time like that you feel like you ought to say something and he said for she said for some reason her the, the sister of the man who had passed away kept saying as people walked up there he is there he is everybody who walked up well after a while you can imagine this began to grate on the nerves of the wife who's lost her husband. She's annoyed." She's a believer, and when the crowd sort of subsides, she looks over kindly to her sister-in-law and says, the reason I am not in despair is because I know that is not true. If I believed there he is, I would be miserable. But because I know there he isn't, I can wake up tomorrow morning and live my life to be absent from the body is to be present with the lord i am not there there he isn't this is what this was the turning point for those on the first Easter, this was the turning point when they realized when the angels said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. The message of Christians is not to point to a memorialized martyr. We can't go to Israel somewhere today and find the remains of Jesus' body like, like, uh, uh, like linen at the Kremlin or something. We, we can't do that. Our message is not, there he is. Our great moral example our message is there he is and you'll search in vain to find Jesus Christ in a tomb because he is risen. And for 2000 years, this has energized and rekindled the hearts of God's people. It has rekindled the, the flames of faith in those who have believed. And I don't know if our world has ever needed hope more than it does right now. Maybe that's why 10% less believe in the resurrection. These have been tough times. John Ortberg talked about that last year. He said, this is an Easter that we need because of all the loss in our world. But he said, I just want you to know, and I, I echo him this morning to say, the good news, the good news I have for you is not the stock market has risen. It has risen indeed. I've got better news than that. I didn't come to say this morning, the dollar has risen, and you to say, it has risen indeed. It's not like, you know, the employment rate has risen. It has risen indeed. My 401k has risen. It has risen indeed. No, for 2000 years, people who are going through various kinds of suffering who feel scattered and like strangers suffering in this world have resonated to this truth. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And in that statement. Is hope enough for you and for me and that hope is accessed through faith so he says to them we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and exactly how do we get involved in that he says well it's through faith who through faith are shielded by God's power verse five first Peter chapter one verse seven these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold will be proved genuine though you have not seen him he says you Love him. Though you have not seen him, you believe in him. This is the problem for the ones on the road to Emmaus. They say, we know the tomb's empty. We know the angels say he's alive, but nobody's seen him yet. They're materialists. They've got to see it in order to believe it. But the scripture doesn't teach seeing is believing. Read the Gospel of John. We've been doing it in our devotionals online in the morning. It doesn't say seeing is believing. What does it say? Believing is seeing. And Peter says, when you believe, then your hope is rekindled. It's why those believers on the road to Emmaus, when they see Jesus, they've got all the information they need. As Jesus has taught them the Old Testament, their hearts have burned within them. Now they receive the revelation. They see him face to face. And this is what Peter says. He says, you, you've not seen him, but you believe. But you are right now, um, you are receiving the goal of your faith because Jesus is revealing himself to you and you are believing in Him. Belief makes all the difference. What we believe really, really matters. And if we believe that Christ is raised, well, that's a turning point in our lives. Just this week, I was um, pondering this thought, and I was thinking about um, Christopher Hitchens. The the renowned atheist who's written books, who's making a sort of world tour. I found some truth in what Christopher Hitchens said this week. I know I don't find a lot of truth in what Christopher Hitchens says, but it turns out he was interviewed by a lady whose last name was Sewell. She was a minister in a nominally, and I'm gonna say nominally, Christian church. Not not a church that believes in the Trinity, not a church that believes that Christ died for our sins, not a church that believes that Christ rose from the dead. But she's interviewing him and she says, I notice you're very critical of Christianity, but She says, what would you say about my kind of Christianity? She said, I don't believe the Bible. I don't believe that Christ died for our sins. I don't believe that his death was an atoning death. I don't believe that Christ rose from the dead. What do you say to a Christian like me? And Hitchens was as kind as he could be. He said, ma'am, if you're telling me you don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, you don't believe that he died on the cross, you don't believe that he rose again, then you cannot in any meaningful way say that you are a Christian. Because Christians are those who believe. They showed Franco Zeffirelli's uh, Jesus of Nazareth, the movie, in an Alzheimer's unit in a in a nursing home and. Uh Those who were taking care of the people there were amazed at how quiet the crowd was as they listened attentively, as they watched the story, as though they'd never heard this before. This group of Alzheimer's patients are watching this this story. And at that point where Mary Magdalene comes running from the tomb and says, I've seen him, Jesus Christ is alive. And then she realizes, as she looks into the skeptical eyes of the people there, she says, you remember what she says? She says, but you don't believe me. You don't believe me. You don't believe me. And Esther, one of the Alzheimer's patients, stands up and says, We believe you. We believe you. I'm with Esther. I'm one of those who believes. I've I've staked my life on this. I've staked my eternity on this. That Christ who was buried... Arose on the third day. Up from the grave He arose with a mighty triumph for His foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and He lives forever with His saints to reign. Do you believe this? No wonder they turned around and went back to Jerusalem. They had just told Jesus, it's too late to be traveling. But once you see Jesus, well, everything changes. They turned around and went back to Emmaus. Emmaus. And hear Peter saying to them, this is our living hope. And Peter goes on to say to them in the next chapter, you need community. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people belonging to God, a peculiar people, a people for his own possession. You are the people whose lives have been built around the living cornerstone who is Jesus Christ and you like living stones because people with living hope live. We become living stones built together in community. You know why they went back to Jerusalem? Because once you have a living hope, isolation doesn't work anymore. you got to find yourself in community with other people who believe. And I invite you this morning to recognize the great truth that Christ calls us back to himself. I read an amazing story this week about A.N. Wilson, a British philosopher, brilliant man. They thought he would be the next C.S. Lewis in his younger days. But sometime in his 30s, he lost faith. He started writing as a cynical critic about Christianity. He wrote a book in 2004 called Jesus. And in that book, he simply said uh, Jesus was a failed prophet, uh, a messianic uh, sort of person who had dreams of grandeur, but he wasn't who he claimed he was. And And then last year, something strange happened. A.N. Wilson decided to go to church on Palm Sunday, 2009. And he wrote an editorial for the Daily Mail, a London newspaper, that came out the following week. And this is what he said in in that editorial. He said, I'm probably the most surprised person in the world that I have come to believe again. I never thought it would happen, he said, until I watched them process in on Palm Sunday... And I saw the faith of the people around me and their faith strengthened my faith. He said, I suppose some will say, oh, you've just succumbed to, uh, to uh, your old age and choosing to believe. But he said, I want you to know that I can no longer agree with the material atheist who says you and I are just some composition of chemicals. In fact, he said that view of the world cannot account for love. It cannot account for acts of heroism. It cannot account for the the people who live and who die with trust in God. He said, I have watched over the years. He said, "I I know there will be some who say, oh, real intellectuals have left the church. Or if they're still there, they're just there because they love the music. But he said, I want you to know that that kind of faith is not faith at all. The faith I have, he says is a faith that is deeply rooted in the truth of the resurrection that somehow in Christ, mystically, the material and the spiritual conjoin and come together in a marvelous way. He said, if you want to know why I'm a Christian, look around you this week and watch those people who live and who die with faith, who place their trust in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He said, you don't have to look far. You might just look at the person who's sitting next to you on a pew and believe in answer to lisa miller who says for my part i don't buy it in her book about heaven i just want to say this morning for my part i do buy it i buy the whole thing i believe that christ who died is risen do you believe i believe and when the cars stop running when the flat when the flat screen tvs stop working when the laptops no longer power up jesus christ will still be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hope rose from the grave on that first Easter Sunday. And because hope lives, you and I can live with hope. We can practice resurrection. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your presence in this place. For the glorious power of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us now, I pray. To receive the truth of who you are. And to share that faith with all who will listen. Through the powerful name of Jesus Christ our Lord we pray.